All right, so now we are jumping into session two. Uh, we're halfway there, I think, almost, sort of. Um, so uh, I had a chat with one of the brothers of our church, and we were just talking about the talk uh, that was given before. And I think it was really helpful, Al, because I think um, from at least from this brother, and I agreed with uh, what he was saying, the kingdom of God is something that we kind of read about um, in the Bible, and yet, when we hear about it, like seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, that sort of uh, Bible passage as an example, we kind of know what it means, but we kind of don't at the same time. Um, and I think uh, the, the subject matter that we're discussing today is really helpful because it's something that yeah, Christians kind of say that they know about, but really when you dig deep into it, it's something that uh, we kind of wish personally that we know more about. So I'm excited to see, uh, hear Al dive deeper into it. Um, so... Hopefully you guys are too. I know you guys are. Yep. Um, let's uh, look at uh, the second passage that we're looking at. Uh, Matthew chapter 4, uh, verses 1 to 11. So if you have a Bible or a Bible app, flick it on. Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 to 11. Excellent weather. All right, let me read. Uh, please follow along. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God. And him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him. And behold, angels came and were ministering to him. This is the word of God. Okay, let's see whether I can get the technology right. I can, I can do it, wait. No, quick push. Slow push. Ah, wait, stop. Got it. Okay. <laughs> All right. I don't know why. Technology hates me. And I hate it back. That might be the problem. All right. Now, some of you may remember a long time ago... This movie, number one, The Matrix, came out, yeah? Okay, 
uh, Keanu Reeves when he was very young. I think they've now up to Matrix number, what, number four or something like that? Number two, one was clever, two was okay, three really sucked. How's four? Is it worth... <laughs> four's even worse. Okay, right, all uh, right, all right. Well, one of the things about the Matrix was they... they um, Lawrence Fishburne says to, um, <laughs> says to Keanu Reeves, you want to take the red pill or do you want to take the blue pill? Okay. If he takes one pill, that was it. That was the end of the Matrix. It only lasted 30 minutes. Okay. He took the other pill and it changed the whole way that he see the world. He could see, he could see the reality that was there, that was going on, that most people were blind to. If you understand what we're about to look at now, it will change the whole way that you see the world. And let's just say it's troubling when you do. Okay. Um, here we go. Let's see if we can do this. This is Mount Quaritania uh, in Israel, uh, near the city of Jericho. It is reputed to be the mountain on which Jesus was tempted by the devil. That part of the Bible that Daniel just read. Um, Mount Quaritania, there's... Has anyone been to Mount Quaritania? Oh, Kathy. Okay. <laughs> right. Uh, what's it like, um, Mrs. Stewart? Yeah, it looks, looks, looks just like that. Okay, excellent. <laughs> because it's a tourist thing now, um, and it may be where the Lord met the devil that way. I, I know that happened, but where it happened, we don't know exactly, but here it is. There's a monastery on the top of the mountain. Uh, if you want to get up there, there is, of course, a cable car now for tourists. And there's a restaurant down the bottom so you don't have to fast. Okay. Righto. But on this mountain, well, on a mountain, the Lord Jesus meets the devil after he's been, uh, he's been fasting, etc. And look at what the devil says to him. The real, um, here we go. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendour. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Now what he's offering, of course, he's offering the Lord Jesus the opportunity to have the kingdoms of the world without suffering, without going to the cross. And you, may, you can ask questions about that later on if you like, etc. But like, you know what, is that a real offer or not? Like all good lies of the devil, it's kind of half true. Right? It's kind of half true because the New Testament writers actually talk about him as the God of this world, as the ruler of this world. So, for example, um, in Ephesians... Excellent. Uh, he says to those who've become Christians, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and what? The ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. In the ancient world, the way they thought, you had the earth, yes, and then you had heaven where God lived and, and that space in the middle, the kingdom of the air, was where the evil spirits lived. And so the devil is or the evil one is the ruler of the kingdom of the air, um, or if you get to, um, let's see, in, in 2 Corinthians, I'm going to put this down. Okay. okay. What I'll do, I'll look over like this on each time. <laughs> is it, okay? I, I get short, short, short button, long button. Okay. Um, 
Okay. The devil and technology. That's all right. Okay. Now look at what the New Testament, what the Apostle Paul calls him. The God of this age, meaning what? The devil, right? has blinded the minds of the unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ. The devil's at work in our world. And that is written, the God of this age, is actually written after the cross. And so there is a kingdom of the evil one at work in our world. And it's interesting that the New Testament says he stops people seeing the glory of Christ. That's what he does. He blinds the minds of unbelievers. Uh, in the parable of the four soils, when the, when the word goes out, lands on the path, it's the devil that snatches it away from people. And the Lord Jesus deliberately frames what he has come to do in terms of destroying the works of the devil. So let me come back to that later. But I'll say, when you actually see what's going on in our world, it'll change the way you see the world. Okay. Now, that's, that's one kingdom... The other kingdom at work in our world that we looked at in the first talk, the kingdom of God. And as I've read and, uh, and, and thought more and, and you read the Gospels and look, the kingdom of God is Jesus' passion. That's what he loved. That's what he was on about. I'll show you. Um, when you count it up, Jesus speaks about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven what, 48 times in Matthew's Gospel, 14 in Mark, 34 in Luke. John gives us a slightly different angle, but even then, five times, and when Jesus is on trial before Pontius Pilate, and Pilate says, are you a king? Jesus will say, my kingdom is not of this world. But still, he's come to establish his kingdom. What, 101 times Jesus talks about it. it. It's the thing. Now, here's the question. When Jesus talks about it, is the kingdom future? Right? Is it going to come in the future? Answer, Yes. And so, for example, if you go to Matthew chapter 25, Matthew chapter 25, well done, spot on. Um, Matthew chapter 25 says, at that, so this is Jesus teaching um, before he goes to the cross, when he gets to Jerusalem, he says, at that time the kingdom of heaven will be like, and then he tells three parables, particularly about his return and the kingdom of heaven arriving. First one, you've got uh, the parable of the ten uh, the ten young women, the ten virgins, and five of them have their lamps ready and the other five don't. And, and the parable means be ready when he comes back because, if you like, repent now and avoid the rush because you won't be able to when he does come back. Then you've got the parable of um, the king giving the talents, the bags of gold, to his servants, meaning you should be busy in the meantime in the kingdom of heaven. He'll reward those who have served him. And then finally a deeply troubling parable about the separation of the sheep from the goats and the eternal consequences of that. So the kingdom of heaven is future. And you know that if you've ever prayed the Lord's Prayer. Ready with me? Okay. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. You pray that the kingdom would come. Um, or um, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, the Lord Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that. So he's saying in the future you'll enter the kingdom of heaven. Okay. So is the kingdom of heaven future? Yes. Here's another question. But is the kingdom of heaven now? Yes. Well done. It is. It is. Um, the difference between John the Baptist's preaching, John said the kingdom of heaven, you know, it's coming. 
Jesus said, no, no, it's here. So it's here and it's future. So in Mark chapter 1, when his summary of what Jesus preached, the, uh, the time has come, Jesus says, the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe the good news. When Jesus teaches the parable about the treasure hidden in the field, he's saying you can find the treasure now, or the pearl of great price. You can find that pearl now, and then it'll change the way you see the world. Or perhaps the clearest one, in Luke chapter 17, verse 20, once on being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, nor will people say, here it is or there it is. Why? Because the kingdom of God is in your midst. Or he could translate that, the kingdom of God is within you, depending on how you translate that particular word. I think he means in your midst, the king is there. Or does he mean the kingdom of God is, is within you? Maybe both. Um, or he'll say, um, now, I won't go through it, but when you look at the writings of the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul also says the kingdom of God is future and the kingdom of God is here now. We kind of live in that tension. Well, Jesus says before he returns, the kingdom will be preached to the whole world. That is a testimony to all nations. All right, so is the kingdom of God future? Yes. Is the kingdom of God here now if you have eyes to see? Yes. All right. So let me show you six things, six things about the kingdom. All right, you ready? Okay, all right. Wait a minute. All right, you're on it, Peter. Okay. Right up, good. I looked over, our operator's gone. They're just, it's a bit... Okay, all right, a bit scary, but you, you got it. All right, okay, good. First thing about the kingdom, it's a supernatural kingdom, meaning we can seek the kingdom, we love, you, know, you, you, you can see the kingdom, but only God can make it grow. And it's unstoppable. Right? You will not stop the growth of the, you will not stop the kingdom happening as God has chosen it. Daniel chapter 2, the great, the dream about the, the great statue, the stone made without human hands, fills the world. God will do it. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, God is the one who gives growth. The kingdom will grow. It's supernatural. Two, it's a kingdom for all nations. Um, so the Lord Jesus says in Matthew chapter 24, uh, 24 and this gospel, what? You notice he calls it the gospel of the kingdom? That's what I, he's about, on about the kingdom all the time. This gospel of the kingdom, his rule, will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Or you get to Revelation chapter 5. I just want you to get the feel. It, it feels like drinking from a fire hose. That's okay. But I want you to get the vibe that it's the kingdom that Jesus is on about. You get to Revelation and, and John's view of, of what heaven will be like. says this, And they sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God what? Persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. Okay. And what has God done with them? You have made them to be what? A kingdom of priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. Every nation, every king, uh, every tribe. You know, um, I think sometimes people have thought in, in the Western world, people have been critical of Christianity, oh, that it's just a Western religion. That has never been the case. And even more now, it's not the case. Right? People from all over the world, people from every culture and tribe. And, anyway, you've got it. Um, number three. 
It's a kingdom in conflict, but victorious. Still in conflict. Now, we talk, I began this talk by talking about the kingdom of the evil one, which is still there. There's no dualism in the Bible. Um, uh, the, the way the Bible explains the world. It's not a kind of an arm wrestle between two equals, between God and the devil. And the, the evil one is only allowed to do as much as God will allow, like a dog on a leash, only to go so far. And even the devil's opposition to God will ultimately achieve God's purposes. So the devil enters Judas and leads him to betray Jesus, so Jesus will be crucified, and that brings about God's great victory to bring forgiveness and new life. But at our level, there is still conflict. And the great weapon of the devil is not... (laughs) Well, I remember... Before CGI, the, the way, you know, the devil, the movies, horror movies about the devil is always heads spinning around and green vomit and all that, that stuff. Now, the you know, new CGI and horror movies. That's not, the, that's not it. The great weapon of the devil is the lie. Right? The lie. And Jesus tells us that in John chapter 8. Let me show you. The weapon of the devil. He says, he says to those who oppose him now, You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks in native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Now, that's why in that same chapter, Jesus says, can you remember? What is it he says will set you free? Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. But the great... Work of the devil is the lie. I've got a few examples here. Our world is full of lies that damage people and mislead people. And here's, a, here's some. Um, lie number one. We are simply the result of blind, indifferent laws of physics and hence evolution. And therefore we are simply hairless apes plus time. Some is more hairless than others, but you know, that's okay. But we're just, you know, we're just monkeys, and we're monkeys with an iPad, and and that has a whole list of implications for how we live. It's a lie. Or the way to happiness is to put yourself first. You do you. It's a lie. Or whoever dies with the most toys wins. It's a lie. Or this is a popular one. Human nature is basically good. All we need to do is educate people. It's a lie. Here's one that um, uh, made a movie when Kevin Spacey was, uh, before he got cancelled. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world that he didn't exist. It's true, but it's actually not the greatest trick of the devil. Um, The greatest trick of the devil in the Bible is this, and you see it, in Genesis chapter 3, he is the heart of all lies. And that, Genesis chapter 3 is a, a picture of Adam and Eve and the, the serpent and so on. It's so insightful. Because what it shows is this. The lie of the devil at his heart is this. He, he comes to the woman and, and so the man as well. He says, God doesn't really care about you. God doesn't ultimately want, um, God, God doesn't ultimately want what's best for you. And God doesn't ultimately know what's best for you. Right? In other words, God is mean and God is stupid. And if you do your own thing and ignore him, you'll be better off. 
Now, God doesn't want what's best for you. God doesn't know what's best for you. Do your own thing. You'll be better off. That is the lie that it's the heart of sin. That's the lie that's so damaged our world. Now, what do these lies do? Well, like I showed you earlier in 2 Corinthians, Paul says, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ. It's blinding people. Now, Jesus will say, do you interesting look, Jesus will say, the reason he came, well, let me read 1 John 3, 8, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. What gives the devil his power? Here's the interesting thing. What gives the devil his power over us is this, it's our guilt. Because God is a judge and God must hold us accountable for breaking his laws, for ignoring him, for damaging one another. God must hold us accountable. And so how can God be just, which is his very nature, but also merciful? Well, the only way that can happen is that God himself pays the price that's due for forgiveness. So Hebrews tells us, for example, Hebrews chapter 2 says this, um, Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, speaking of Jesus, right? He too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil. Okay, so the reason the Son of God becomes one of us is he dies in our place to pay that price and to break the power of the devil. And so as the devil points and says, you're guilty, you're guilty, if you belong to Jesus, you're not because the price has been paid. If you've confessed your sins to God, if you, you're not guilty anymore. Why? Because you've been forgiven. So there's a victory won, but the, if you like, the warfare continues. The Apostle Peter, Peter, as he writes to the Christians, says, beware, be alert, because the devil prowls around like a roaring lion. And as the gospel's preached, there'll be conflict. And particularly to look for the level of lies about, about God, about the gospel. And yet there's a promise of a final judgment day. And so Jesus says in Matthew 25, then he, he's talking about himself as the judge, and he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire, what? Prepared for the devil and his angels. There will be a final judgment day. So here's the thing, the two kingdoms, this is the kind of the, you know, the red pill or the blue pill, the two kingdoms... You're in one or the other, and everyone is in one or the other. No one's neutral. And so why is it disturbing? Well, see, what is uh, Apostle Paul, remember I showed you about to become a Christian, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. So let me tell you just, I've got, what, five points here about why to believe that is troubling. One, it means our world is a spiritual war zone doesn't look like that here, but it is. It's a spiritual war zone. Two, and it's fought especially in the area of truth and lies. Three, no one is neutral. You're in the, either in the kingdom of the evil one or the kingdom of the son that he loves. Four, most people in our country are happily ignoring God, drifting along in whatever it is that they want to believe, and so they're in the kingdom of the evil one. And five, it takes the kindness of God to open people's eyes. 
if you see the world that way, it's very different, isn't it? All right, so kingdom in conflict but victorious. Fourth one, a kingdom of invitation and forgiveness and joy. Interesting, Jesus talks about the kingdom. Yes, he mentions the final judgment day, but again and again he talks about joy. Um, he describes the kingdom of God as like a, a wedding banquet. Uh, here we go. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. And so one of the wedding guests, Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing what? A great banquet and invited many guests. Describes the, the kingdom of God as a, as a banquet with joy. Uh, the... Um, uh, the treasure in heaven, uh, sorry, the treasure in the field. You know, the man finds the treasure in the field. What does he do? He goes away, sells everything he's got with joy and buys that field. He talks about the kingdom of heaven's like a king wanting to, he forgives the, person, the, the servant who has such a great debt. Um, it is a great pity that sometimes Christians and particular churches look like they've been sucking on a lemon rather than finding joy. We need to be the people who actually show that the Christian life is positive and joyful and etc. All right. Number five, a kingdom of the first priority. And Jesus will say, this is worth a talk on its own, but Jesus will say um, in the Sermon on the Mount, he'll say, yeah, we've got Matthew chapter 6. Excellent. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. What's he saying? To, to look for and to serve and Jesus' kingdom first rather than what we eat and drink and wear. And it's when Christian believers, and actually if I could say particularly church leaders, understand the kingdom rather than just their own individual little patch that it leads to a gospel generosity. That's one of the joys of actually working for FIEC, that you've got 54 churches who lean in to help one another uh, or to start new churches or to be generous with each other and why because they understand the kingdom of God's bigger than their own little patch okay so seek first his kingdom and then last of all number six is a kingdom of service um, I really like the story like the story in um, in Matthew's gospel uh, here we go the mother of Zebedee's sons, that's James and John, um, when uh, Mark and Luke tell this story, they leave this bit out. They don't include the mum. I don't know why. They just talk about James and John. But then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down asked him, uh, sorry, asked a favour of him. What is it you want, he asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. So she's a tiger mum. She wants her... Um... <laughs> she is. Uh, she wants her boys to be great. And interesting, see what she asked for? In your, what? Kingdom. Because they're still thinking Jesus is going to kick out the Romans and set up a, you know, a military kingdom and uh, she wants James or John to be uh, treasurer or prime minister or, or whatever. She wants her boys to be great. And Jesus goes on to say, it's not wrong to want to be great. It's not wrong to want to be significant. That's, that's not the problem. It's how do you look to find that? Where do you look to be great or significant? 
And Jesus says, let me just kind of jump to the end. What does he say? He says, in the non-Christian world, people walk over one another. Those with authority use it to prop themselves up and to make themselves look great. And it's as you push other people around and accumulate wealth and power, etc., for yourself that you look great. And that's the same with, you know, in, in all cultures, really. It's just maybe it's just a little more subtle here than, you know, in other places. What does Jesus say in his kingdom? Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. And, of course, the great example, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see what he's saying? He's saying it's not, it's not wrong to want to be great, but greatness in his kingdom is found in being a servant, in saying no to self, take up your cross and follow him, in serving him and so serving others. Okay, so there's the six things about the... Here we are. The six things about the kingdom. Um, a supernatural kingdom, realising that God is the one who will make this grow. A kingdom of all nations, uh, a great G up about mission work, particularly also about welcoming other cultures, etc. A kingdom in conflict but victorious, having the eyes to see that there will be conflict as the gospel's preached. Um, a kingdom of invitation and joy and forgiveness. We need to be the people who demonstrate that in the way that we live, to, make, to show that the gospel's attractive and joyful. A kingdom is first priority. How is it the way that God's wired you up, the gifts, the opportunities God's given you, how will you seek first his kingdom? And then a kingdom of service. Now, if you pick any one of those, um, uh, you know, there's six studies. Let me just pick the last one, service. Two minutes on that. Well, I'll put it to you why, why it's hard to learn. I reckon the default position of every human heart is selfishness. It's just, it, it's just the way we're wired up. Um, we've got a brand new granddaughter in Melbourne. She's the sweetest little one. She's about two months old now. But as she grows, our daughter is going to have to teach her to stop. She's going to grow up as a little savage unless you teach her. Right? <laughs> she will. Uh, unless you teach her to not be selfish. Or to at least fake it like the rest of us, okay? <laughs> What's in it for me? What about me? Was it Now, of course, you've got to have self-care and you've got to have proper boundaries, all that kind of thing. Right? But what's Jesus saying? It's the, it's the great work of God's spirit in the human heart to turn so that we're willing to serve him and so serve others. And greatness is found in God's eyes, in Jesus' eyes, in being a servant. Why is it hard to learn? Well, like I say, we're kind of hardwired the other way. I've got three other reasons. One is some people can be really hard to serve. Okay, that, That's true. Well, secondly, serving people is not necessarily giving them what they want. It's doing what they need and what's good for them. And that, that can be difficult. Uh, if you've ever had teenagers, you'll know what I mean, okay? Um, and finally, maybe I'm the only one that would ever think of this, but I'll fess up. What if I serve and no one notices? 
it's like doing housework at home and if your wife doesn't notice, what's it, you know? <laughs> Oh, I won't go there. Um, yeah, what if I serve and no one notices? Okay. Maybe I'm the only one that's ever thought of that, so forgive me. But you know what Jesus says? He notices. He notices. It's as you serve, even if no one else notices, as you care for others, as you honour him, as you serve, he sees and he will reward us, he promises. What's the reward? I can't help but think that the reward for acting like Jesus and serving others the great reward is that we will become like him. All right, six things. More than happy to have questions and comments later on. I'm not sure when we're doing that, but I'm in your hands. So how about we say a prayer? Our Father, we thank you that you sent your king into our world and we pray, please, that we might see his kingdom at work, to see a kingdom that you will make happen, that you give the growth, a kingdom that will welcome people from every tribe and nation, that we might live with that example of joy and forgiveness to make that kingdom attractive. Show us how to seek first that kingdom and please give us a servant heart. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.